we're all friends, so uh, we can be honest. Uh, and I think if we're honest about this particular subject, we, we would all say we like simple answers. We like easy answers. Um, we like quick answers. And um, to go with it, we like slogans. That's even better. If you have a slogan that claims to have an easy answer, people just sort of grab onto it. Right? They put it on their T-shirt. They put the bumper sticker on their car. We like to simplify complex issues and treat them as if this one thing will solve it all. Um, uh, some slogans that you're probably familiar with. Uh, the MasterCard slogan is, there are some things money can't buy, for everything else there's MasterCard. Which is great, right? It's a simple solution and, and it's a little uh, heartwarming. There are some things money can't buy, but if you need to buy something, MasterCard will fix it. Like, it's just, it's really simple. But what the slogan doesn't tell you about is compound interest or annual fees or late fees or credit score or collection agencies or how quickly you can get yourself into a whole lot of debt. Like, that's nowhere in the slogan. It's just very simple, very easy. This is all you have to do. Nike slogan is... Just do it. That's right. And that's a great slogan. It's easy. Just do it. Just get out there and go for it. And you will become exactly like the professional athlete in this commercial. That will happen to your body. That will happen to your future. Except just do it doesn't explain that some people just have abilities other people don't have. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but... Not all of us have the skill level to become a professional athlete. Some of us have access to better coaching or better equipment or better technology. Some of us just have lucky breaks. Whatever you think of lucky breaks. Some of us were just at the right place at the right time. And some of us weren't. Some of us got injured. And then we get older and we get injured a lot, right? No matter how much we do it. As a matter of fact, the more we do it, the more we get injured, I'm at the point in my life where I could be perfectly fine one moment and doubled over in pain after I sneeze the next moment, right? I pull everything in my body because I had to sneeze. You, you get to that point, just do it doesn't do you a lot of good when you get to that point. Disney's, Disney's slogan, the happiest place on earth. Ever been to Disney? I love Disney. Try to go every couple of years with the, with the girls and the nephews. and It's a great, the happiest place on earth. But let's be serious. All over the happiest place on earth are little kids having meltdowns. <laughs> and parents having meltdowns, watching their little kid have a meltdown. Because parent has spent their life savings to get little kid to the Winnie the Pooh ride. And they're melting down in the line. And all parent can think about is, I'm going to have to spend part of my $150 per person park hopper day at the hotel taking a nap with the kid. Right? The happiest place on earth doesn't really sum up everything that happens at Disney. But we like easy, quick slogans. Something that's going to fix it fast. You're responsible ever for cooking at your house. 
You read a recipe, and if it has more than four items and takes more than 15 minutes, we go to the next recipe, don't we? No, I don't want to do that one. We have Instant Pots now. Any Instant Pot people here? Insta Pot, whatever it's called. We don't have one. My wife and I are still in the dark ages of the crock pot. But same idea. You throw stuff in, you walk away, you come back later, it's all done for you, and it's ready to go. It's beautiful. We like life to work that way very quickly. It's one of the reasons we're in the mess that we're in politically, right? This is not a politics message, but it's one of the reasons that we're in such a mess because everybody claims to have a quick fix and a nice slogan for all of the ills of our country and the world. The, the, the implication is, elect me, and on the first day of office, I will fix everything from poverty to college loan debt to international conflict to the, to the, the tax code. Just if, if you'll just elect me, then I'm going to fix it in the first 24 hours. It's going to go away. It's going to be amazing. The thing is, if somebody, somebody campaigned on a platform that said, you know, the issues we're facing as a nation are, are pretty complex, and um, it's going to take a while to make progress on a lot of them, and, and both sides are probably going to have to compromise and find some way to, to give and take in order for us to make progress. And then some of the things we try are going to fail. We're going to have to back up and readjust, and, and it's going to take some time for us to make any headway on some of these really big problems. That person would never get elected, would they? Because that doesn't go on a t-shirt very well. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker very well. We like things that are quick fixes. Some of us, if we're honest, we look at our life. Some of us, we have quit things that we started because they didn't change quickly or quickly enough for us. We didn't see change quickly enough and so we bailed on those things. That's sort of the mentality that a lot of us get into, and we know it's not right. I mean, we can objectively look at it. We could tell somebody else, you're going to have to stick with this. You're going to have to commit to this. It's not going to get fixed overnight, but when it's us, we like things to change really fast, and we like simple solutions. John was a disciple of Jesus, He was at the cross the day that Jesus died, caring for Jesus' mother. Do you remember that scene? Uh, John writes several books in the New Testament. He writes one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. It's toward the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, we we call it. And then he writes a couple of books at the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the uh, the book that we call the Revelation. That's that's this guy, all right, John. John lives a full life. He's... He's the only disciple that doesn't die a martyr's death. So he lives to a a very old age, continues to write, continues to preach, continues to to plant churches and encourage churches and and teach churches. Um, John, as he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, is concerned about the church that he's writing to. He's concerned about churches in a particular area. And uh, his concern is because they're beginning to feel pressure. People are starting to leave. And, and they're starting to leave, um, not to go to another church necessarily. John's not worried about the numbers. He's not worried what's going to look bad. People are leaving my church. That's not what he's worried about. He's worried about their souls. 
Because in addition to some external persecution, the church at the time was facing some internal conflict because there were teachers that were coming around and were challenging the truth. Uh, They were teaching that Jesus wasn't really the Messiah. He wasn't completely God. Um, he, He wasn't all human and all God and And John is concerned because people have already left following these other teachings about special knowledge that that you could get from these other teachers. And and he steps in and he offers in 2 John what at first seems like a pretty simple solution. And it's not a simple solution. It's not a quick solution or an easy solution, but it is the solution that John offers in 2 John. It's close to the end of the Bible if you want to follow along. It's just one chapter. This is one of a couple of books in the Bible. It's just one chapter. It's 13 verses. If you've ever wanted to tell somebody that you memorized a whole book of the Bible, I'd go with this one, right? 13 verses. You could tell everybody, I've memorized a whole book of the Bible. You would have this one memorized. This is, this is how 2 John begins. The elder To the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Um, Some definitions just, just to clarify. The elder is how John introduces Himself. There's debates about why he chose to introduce himself this way, um, why he didn't just say, hey, everybody, it's John. He didn't. The elder is John. If you look over at 3 John, he does the same thing in 3 John as well. And he's writing to the lady. Again, we can have a lot of discussion uh, about theories related to the lady. But in general, uh, most everybody that you would want to believe believes that the lady was a, a reference to this church. Um, we, we are familiar, if you've been in church, you're familiar with the church being called the Bride of Christ, so that sort of feminine form for the church. Same idea. The lady is the church, therefore the lady's children are the people who went to that church. At the end, he's going to talk about the sister, and so he's talking about another church. Those are the, the terms defined. Let's pick it back up in verse 4. John writes, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children, those are the people in the church, walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands, As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. John gives uh, a dual-sided solution to the problems within this church or the problems of the spiritual life, sort of like uh, two sides of the same coin. He, He says, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. Now, let's state the obvious, and you could have figured this out reading it on your own. He says that he's found some of the children. Some of the people in the church are doing this, which implies there are others in the church who aren't doing this. Some have left, but even among those who are still in the church, some are walking in the truth and some 
are not walking in the truth. And, and I would imagine the same is true today. For, for any church, anywhere, if John were writing a letter to this church or any church, he would probably still have to say, some of the children are walking with God, closely with God, walking in the truth. Um, as we're getting ready for the next decade, for the next 10 years, and I wonder if John sends us a letter in January of 2030, and, and he wrote, some of you are walking in the truth, would that be you? Would you be part of the sum? Are you part of the sum now? Will you be part of the sum in 10 years? Will, will you be that person walking in the truth? Last week we talked about the we aspect, us together, and the me aspect, individual things that only I can do. We can encourage each other to walk in the truth, but the, the reality is you have to decide if you're going to walk in truth over the next 10 years or not. And he, and he uses that metaphor of walking. He, he writes, some of you are walking in the truth. At the end of verse 6, he says, you walk in love. He, he's not the only one to use this metaphor. Paul makes use of this metaphor of walking in truth, walking in love, walking according to the Spirit. It's a metaphor that just means our whole life, the way we're living our life. Or, or, or think about it this way. It's the ongoing attitude, characteristic and behavior of your life. So the totality of your attitude, the character, and the actions of your life, that's what it means to walk. And we're all walking in a direction. John says, I want you walking in the truth, and I want you walking in love. There's a responsibility you and I have, and there's this responsibility that God is going to do something in us as we keep walking. Um, God wants to do a continual work in us, but that requires a continual walk from us. God wants to do a continual work in us, but that requires a continual walk from us. He wants to keep changing our hearts. He, he wants to keep conforming us to His image. But that necessitates our obedience on an ongoing basis, daily walking, living out what we know to be true. And we're going to travel through this next decade. And as we do, we need to start it with a commitment that I'm going to keep walking with Him. No matter what happens in my life, I'm going to keep walking with it. There are going to be difficult times in your life and my life over the next 10 years. There's going to be difficult walking. There's going to be painful walking in the next 10 years. We're going to fall. We're going to trip. We're going to skin our knees. We're going to fail. The question at that point is, am I going to keep walking with the Lord? And the opposite of that is true. Too, hopefully, over these next 10 years, you and I are going to have some wonderful successes, and some great news in our life. We're going to have some wonderful accomplishments. Same question. Through those, wherever we are on the spectrum at any given time, will I continue to walk? Will God be able to work in my life because I continue to walk in truth, in love, in His Spirit? 
Walking with God means I won't get settled in success and I'm not finished in failure. Walking with God means I don't get settled when things go well and I don't give up when things get hard. I don't give up when I don't quite make it. We're all going to experience both. I mean, that's the beauty of walking is that sometimes walking leads us to the top of the mountain. Sometimes walking leads us to a view that we've never seen before. And it's beautiful and it's perfect and it's great. But the reality is there's another mountain that God wants to take, take us to. There's another place that God wants us to see. There's another view that God wants us to have. And the opposite is true as well. Sometimes we walk through difficult times. We walk through struggles, we walk through pain, but neither of those places are stopping points in our journey. Not the mountaintop, nor the failures, or the struggles, or we might say the valleys, neither of those are stopping points. John says, you're to be walking, you're to keep growing, you're to keep learning, you're to keep moving towards Jesus, continually walking with Him, towards Him. Among the many things that I wish for us in this next decade, for you personally and for me personally, is that we would have the perseverance and that we would have the resilience to just keep walking this next decade. To to not get to a point where we sit down and we stop and we quit moving or we give up. We just keep walking. We just keep walking. We ask ourselves in those difficult times over the next 10 years, what what might happen if I just don't quit here? What might happen if I just don't stop here? Whether it's a difficult season or or a great season. what What might God have for me in my future if I just don't stop now? If I just keep walking? Now, John emphasizes two key aspects that you and I are to walk in. As we're walking, these two aspects should be the characteristics of our life. And and those two aspects are truth and love. I want you walking in truth. I want you walking in love. I want you walking in truth. I want you walking in love. You're facing pressure from the outside distraction from the inside as these churches were facing. John says, I want you to walk in truth. I want you to walk in love. I know we read it. I'm going to read a a passage of it again. Listen to how often he says truth and how often he says love. Beginning in verse 3, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth Just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. He sort of ping-pongs back and forth between encouraging us in truth, encouraging us in love, encouraging us to walk in truth, encouraging us to walk in love. I, I, I think... I can say, without any hesitation, that truth and love always exist together, just the way John wrote them here. Truth and love always exist together. It's never one or the other. 
It's always, I'm going to walk in truth and love. You, you can't separate the two because once you separate the two, then you ruin the other one. Like if, I'm, I, only, if I only love, then I'm going to ruin the truth. But if I'm only trying to focus on truth, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil love, which is then going to spoil truth. You can't do one without the other. They, they exist together. He even engages in, if we were just evaluating his, his argument, we would say, John, you're kind of speaking in circles. Like you're making a circular argument because he says, um, let's see, uh, verse 6, and this is love, so he's going to define love, and this is love. Walk in obedience to His commands. So love is obedience to His commands. And then the next thing He says is, as you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. What's love? Walk in His commands. Okay, what are His commands? Love. Okay, what's love? Walk in His commands, which is truth, right? It's truth. Do what God says. God speaks truth. God commands truth. So love looks like truth. And truth looks like love. And love looks like truth. And truth looks like love. And there's no separation between the two. It's not one or the other. One's more than the other. You, we can't love without truth. And we can't have truth without love. Because love looks like truth and truth looks like love. John, John Stott said it this way. Our love grows soft... If it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth hard, if it is not softened by love. And I would say, you can't have one without the other. Because when you're missing one, you spoil the other. When you're missing love, you spoil truth. When you're missing truth, you spoil love. You can't have one without the other. They go together. And, and I would suggest one of the greatest areas of temptations for the next 10 years of our life is going to be this one, truth and love. That's where we're going to experience the greatest temptations over the next 10 years is when it comes to truth and love. Because over the next 10 years, we're going to be tempted to give away truth, to give up on the commands of God, we're going to be tempted to go along because it would make us stand out if we held on to the commands of God. We're going to be tempted to not be a part of studying God's Word. We're going to be tempted to neglect our daily time with the Lord, our time when we gather together for worship and we study God's Word. One of the greatest temptations over the next 10 years is going to be to pull us away from truth. And at the same time, one of the greatest temptations will be, able to, will be to pull us away from love, to, to increase the way we are unloving towards each other. We, we live in a culture that is often unloving towards one another. We live in a culture that is increasingly, because of technology, pulled away from community and into isolation. Unfortunately, technology gives us the, the sense that we're in community when we're really not. We think that we're connecting uh, through social media and through the internet when we're really not. And that's only going to increase over the next 10 years. The pull away from community and into isolation 
is just going to increase. Not only that, we're all, follow me here, this is kind of complicated, 10 years from now, we're all going to be 10 years older. And, and, and the truth is, typically what happens as, as we get older is we become a little more cynical, become a little more jaded. We see the glass half empty a little more often than we see it half full. Two of the greatest temptations over the next 10 years for my life and your life is that we would be pulled away from what God has said is true and we would be pulled away from truly loving God. Other people. Walk in truth and love. And that would actually fit on a t-shirt. That would fit on a bumper sticker. It sounds so simple. And it's not simple at all, is it? I mean, if you've been trying to walk in truth and love, you know that there are a million complex questions when you try to live out truth and love. You know that there, there are a million people that you look at and, and you love and you care about. And, and there's tension as you're trying to walk in truth and love. It's, it's a simple little saying, just walk in truth and love. It's really complex. You and I, over the next 10 years, we're going to live with people that are really hard to love. I mean, walking in truth and love would be easy if it weren't for people, wouldn't it? Like if everybody would just do things your way and the way you do it and see life the way you do it, that would be easy, but that's not the world we live in. It's complex. We have to, we have to hold this walk in a humility that says, yeah, I want to walk in truth and love. I don't have it all figured out. But I want to keep growing in truth and love. I want to keep growing in truth and love. And I want to be careful that I don't start leaning so far towards love that I ruin what's true. And I want to be careful I don't start leaning so much into truth that I ruin love, which then ruins the truth in me. I want to walk every day in truth and in love. Truth and love. Walking is such a great metaphor for this. Have you ever noticed that you see things, you observe things when you're on foot that you don't observe when you're in a car? I mean, it just takes a long time to get from point A to point B when you're on foot, when you're walking. And so you, you notice things that you don't notice when you're just driving past them. Now, there's just kind of a blur. Obviously, John didn't know what a car was. He would never have used that metaphor. But he uses walking, and it's still such a great metaphor today because we live most of our life at about 75 miles an hour. And we sort of, or 80, or 85. We live our life getting from point A to B, and everything in the periphery is just kind of a blur, isn't it? I'm getting there, I want to get there in a hurry. This is the thing about walking, breathing, going for a run. Everything slows down. And you realize, oh, I've never noticed that before. 
Um, I'm a runner um, when I don't have back problems like I do right now. I, I, I enjoy running. And when, when our family goes on vacation, especially if we go to a new place, then I'll usually get up the first morning, first two or three mornings, and I'll go for a run, uh, mainly because I know as the week goes on, I'm going to eat more bad things, and I'm going to stay up later, and I'm going to want to sleep late. So the first couple of mornings, I try to get a few runs out of the way because I know I'm not going to want to do that later in the week. And, and usually that first morning, if we're in a new place, I'll go for a run out from wherever we're staying and I'll just make note of everything that's, hey, we need to try that restaurant. Hey, we can bring the kids back to that. Hey, this is this a cool-looking pier. We didn't know that was there. And so I just kind of log everything. And then, then I'll come back and say, hey, we should go do this. We take the kids back down there. Now, we had driven to this place the night before, and we didn't see any of those things. Number one, we were, we were going pretty fast. And number two, we were going to a specific place. I'm following GPS to that. I'm just trying to get to that place. And when I'm trying to get to that place, I often miss a lot of the places along the way. But when you slow down and you walk, go for a run, you see more. You take in more. You become aware of more. My prayer for us over these next 10 years is that we would walk in truth and love so that we could see more. We would see more of God's work, His beauty. We would see more of the needs around us and hurting people that are right there, but we were doing 85 when we passed them and we didn't notice it. We would walk slowly in truth in love so that maybe we wouldn't make as many snap judgments about people or circumstances or issues that we don't know the whole story about. We just slow down. We'd walk every day in truth and in love. And we wouldn't let our lack of love ruin our truth and we wouldn't let our lack of truth ruin our love. We'd just walk. And we'd watch for what God wants to show us and bring into our lives over the next 10 years. My prayer for you is 10 years of walking. 10 years of seeing, observing, becoming aware of what God is doing because you don't quit. Because you don't get in a hurry. Because you don't reduce everything in your life to some simple phrase or simple solution or a political party or a slogan. You just keep walking in truth and in love. And you meet all that God wants to teach you over the next 10 years. Let's pray. God, thank you for this metaphor of walking. I know that John didn't have a lot of the metaphors we might use, but our lives aren't characterized much by walking. 
We're driving, we're flying. We're high-speed bandwidth. We're Wi-Fi. We're surfing the net. Help us to slow down and to walk in truth and in love. Not to let our lack of love ruin our truth or our lack of truth ruin our love. But to steadily walk. And there'll be good times. And there'll be mountaintops and great successes. And we will fail and fall and stumble. But help us to keep walking. Keep moving. Keep walking. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Darkness, my God, that is who.